Thanks for tuning in to episode nine. This is a continuation of our conversation with Dr. Leon Seagal, and we, we really hope that you would go back and listen to episode eight, where we cover a little bit about Leon's story, 30 years of meditation, the significance of rituals and design thinking. We're really excited to continue those thoughts into this podcast. But real quick, before we get into this episode, as always, if you love our content, want to support our cause, please, 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 please visit our website, aware-apparel.com, A-W-E-A-R-apparel.com. Pick up some bamboo clothing, some aroma bracelets, bring a little bit of stillness to your life. Little teaser for the next men's line. We just got the samples in from the factory. The new fabrics look amazing. They feel great. The styles are awesome. We took a lot of the feedback that you guys had from the first round of shirts and implemented them into the next one. So as we continue to adjust, we'll keep you posted, but enough about that. Let's get back to Leon. In some of the lectures I watched of yours, you talk about taking that step back and kind of really being the observer and falling in love with the problem and not being judgmental. I think those are the core tenets that you see in meditation, just like what you're saying. I mean, that's that's what it takes to, to find that growth is to give yourself space and, and not, not judge yourself. I think that's, that's step one and listen very closely to it. We are a culture of fixers. We want to jump and fix a problem as soon as we see it. I think it, it's usually much more a male problem than a female problem. We're fixers, you know, and many times you see it if in, in couples therapy. You'll see it that, you know, the couple talk about something and the woman is there sharing her emotions and the man can't almost hold himself from jumping in and, and fixing it immediately. You know, mm. you know, and again, of course, I'm generalizing, but the idea is we get from, from school, from, you know, a very young age, we get a gold star for having the right answer first. You know, they ask 50 plus 17, and the first kid that raises their hand gets the gold star. And we get reinforced that having a solution quickly is really important and really valuable. And we need to unlearn that. That notion of falling in love with a problem is a really important place of just sitting quietly, witnessing what we call a problem, right? That's also, you know, a label. But just sitting with it and trying to learn more about it. Build a relationship with this challenge you're trying to answer. Because in those intricate subtleties of what a relationship is about, that's where you'll get hints for the right solution. A lot of us are operating with, with stories, you know, under kind of dysfunctional beliefs that we make assumptions about what the problem is, and I think that's connected to these fast solutions, is that we we make decisions based on assumptions without really leaving enough time to to truly observe and slow down and, and take in what the problem is all the way. And so, I again, I just see an incredibly beautiful parallel between this approach of design thinking um, and creative thinking and, and meditation in a way that you can slow down and zoom out, really listen to what's happening and maybe defraud some of these beliefs and these stories that we have established. A lot of that has to do with patience too. And Reed and I were actually talking yesterday about just how important patience was, like long-term and short-term patience 
Do you feel like that was part of your story was trying to hone that ability to be patient enough to create that space from your problems so you can see those intricate subtleties? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think patience is really important. Giving yourself time to be with yourself, with your problem, whether it's a personal problem or a work problem. And again, sitting with it as you would sit with a meditation. So, you know, and one can definitely meditate on a problem. And, and that's a, you know, we, we often say, you know, let me think about that. Let me sleep on that. Wh whatever it is, mm. meditation comes in there someplace. And I think there, there's also a, there's such a big gap between a thought and materializing it in the world. You know, Steve Jobs had a vision and it took a few years to build a team and build the products and the hardware and all of that to actually see that come true in the world. So that's, of course, a very long kind of cycle between insight and materialization. But even in our private lives, you know, sometimes there's there's a struggle we have maybe with a relationship with someone or even a habit of our own. Maybe I want to exercise and I sit there and I decide, OK, I'm going to exercise. It takes time to integrate that into daily living. And one of the big things with meditation that I learned early on, which I think is a super important lesson for anyone who wants to meditate is give yourself a chance start with baby steps what we call in design thinking prototype right mm -hmm. start small right when when i started meditating my teacher said to me you know don't try sitting in lotus position in the middle of the room and meditating for two hours every morning now that you've understood the principle why don't you try you know 12 minutes every morning when you wake up in the morning sit back in your bed sit comfortably sit upright but if you're not if your body doesn't allow that to do comfortably you can lean up against the wall and just sit for 12 minutes quietly and do that for a few weeks and see how that feels when you feel comfortable with that go for 17 minutes you know it's that place of having also patience with ourselves, which is really important because I know so many people who've gone to Vipassana, you know, retreats or things like that and have come home so enthusiastic. And they started every morning waking up at five o'clock and doing an hour of meditation and it went great for about five days. And then something broke and then the baby woke up so they couldn't do it that sixth day and and after a couple of weeks there's one develops like almost kind of inner cynicism and a skepticism that ah i'll probably never be able to do this and mm -hmm. then we give up mm -hmm. so that place back to sean your your discussion of patience it's such an integral part of the entire process of meditation, but also of creativity. Have patience with yourself. I know you really want to come up with the greatest idea today, 
But if you sleep on it, if you sit with it, if you let it, you know, flow by you without judgment, the idea will come. It's okay. Just take a deep breath and relax. Meditation has taught me so much patience. I find myself when there's a decision that I need to make and I can feel it that I'm not, I haven't made that decision. I used to rush, pick a decision and hope it was the right one. I found now that I wait, I, I can feel when the decision is not ready to be made yet and I just sit on it and my subconscious eats away at it while I'm doing, you know, I won't even think about it for a day or two, but my subconscious is just chipping away at it. And all of a sudden when I, when I come revisit it, you know, a day later, two days later, it's so clear to me, you know what, this is the right decision. And I never would have had that clarity in that moment. It was the patience, the space that that created and allowing my subconscious to settle in and do some really beautiful work that allows me to reach decisions with a lot of clarity and, and in a lot of alignment with my true self. Yeah, that's beautiful. Many people who know what you just mentioned, Sean, about letting the unconscious mind work on certain things, they intentionally distract their mind so they might go on a run or they might, you know, I play, I play saxophone. So I might go and pick up and, and play scales for 30 minutes or people paint or there are all these behaviors that we engage in to get our conscious mind to stay away and give the unconscious mind, the peace and quiet to work away on that problem. Hmm. So very much a, a, a really useful way to deal with that. Yeah, and it comes back to our, our tendency to just want to solve problems immediately. Like it's, yeah, we're just built for it. We see a problem and we want to, you know, attack it full force. I edit tons of videos and I used to, you know, if I was ever behind on a deadline, I'd have to rush edit a video. And I realized that, you know, three days after I submitted the video, I'll look at it again. And there's so many clear edits that I just didn't see because I was too, I was too in, I was in way too deep. And those three days of pulling back showed me all these beautiful adjustments that I could have made had I had the space. And so knowing that now, when I edit, I purposely give myself extra time and I just take these little steps and then I pull away. And I've applied that to other aspects of my life too, even like when in conflict with somebody close to me, you know, it's on your mind. I think we all go through that anxiety where it's hard to release yourself from this conflict you're dealing with, with someone you love or someone close to you. You're trying to work towards a resolution and it seems to be dominating your headspace. But I found that really being disciplined and not letting myself chase those thoughts and like you said, saxophone, going on a run, but like sometimes actively not letting myself go there, when I disconnect and I come back to it, I can feel the progress that was made in that absence. It's actually so simple and so beautiful. Yeah, and you know, most psychological theories you look into always talk about the, the conscious mind being really the tip of the iceberg. So much more going on under the surface that enabling that, again, is part of sitting quietly in meditation and quieting the chatter of the conscious mind in order to allow that more expansive mind mm -hmm. to come into play.
with patients and and talking about some of the core tenets that help like inspire creativity and how there's a, a connection I think to meditation I think it's an awesome point that's being made how do you cultivate that and hold that space and encourage that for groups because it's one thing to be self-enforcing that but it's another thing to walk into a cold room of strangers and summon that energy so I'm just curious about your experiences with that and maybe if you have some big aha moments groups of course are a challenge especially groups who don't have experience I mean, there's power in a group. If you have, you know, a room with seven people who've come in for a brainstorming session and four of them are experienced brainstormers, no problem. Hmm. It's just the, the, the group mind takes over. There's kind of a mass in the room that just takes the process along. The best way to work with groups is something I mentioned before, which is rituals. There are many different ways to create ritual in a group. It depends on the industry. If I walk into a boardroom of a bank, I will use a different ritual than if I walk into a startup, right? It's age, gender, all the different things that come into play in making a group a cohesive group or conversely a fragmented group. Sometimes it's rituals like all these kind of team building games that people play. Sometimes it's just going around the room, people sharing what their favorite, what's your favorite fast food truck in the neighborhood? Hmm. You know, and just people bringing up into the group something personal of theirs and that helps to see people from a different perspective and bring them a bit closer together using literally objects like post-its and sharpies and training people in using them you know so asking people to write down quickly what they think of a certain topic so there are ways to ritualize the space and sometimes it's just an uphill battle throughout the day and sometimes it just when the group is ready it just flows organically so hmm. I would wonder how does uh how did our session compare because I would definitely say for the most part those were not veteran seasoned uh, brainstormers those were not you know, it, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't a hard session. I, there, I'm saying some sessions are literally pushing that mm. rock uphill throughout. And you, you get also pockets of creativity, which is what you need, right? You, after a, a, a brainstorming session, you want to walk out with a few gems. The, the goal is to have many ideas so that within that pile of ideas, you can find those few that can really shine be polished and worked on to become something more meaningful later so that's all you need it doesn't have to be a, a room full of brilliant people and in fact sometimes if there's too many brilliant people in the room too many egos and stuff that that can also work against the 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 flow so it's funny you touched on ego because now i remember thinking of this before our call am i correct in, in believing that you know ego is just it's an impediment basically to 
creativity. Would you would you say that's fair to say? Uh, yes, I'd say that just as it is an impediment to meditation. Mm. Right. And yet, you know, how many people, you know, back to Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, all these true ego maniacs <laughs> that what drove them to what they got to was their ego. So mm. we can't say that the ego is bad, just like we can't in personal life. You don't want to say, oh, my goal is I want to be so enlightened that I don't have an ego. No, you still, you know, you need to walk to the store and buy food. You better have an ego who knows how to do that. <laughs> so so it, it really is a balancing act and just being able to live with that knowledge and be be aware of your ego rather than you know get rid of it it doesn't work yeah that's an interesting dichotomy between having an ego strong enough to drive the follow-through with the vision but also not too strong that it stifles the creativity maybe of others or even yourself i wonder if meditation can be like a tool that helps with that introspection to help check mm -hmm. in with where you stand with that i think it's more you're familiar with the concept of flow, state of flow. Mm -hmm. The creative state and the meditative state are states of flow. One feels it when the ego comes in. When the ego comes in in meditation, it's that voice that comes in and saying, oh, I'm not thinking or I'm thinking too much or I'm not sitting this or my, my foot hurts or whatever the ego brings up. In creativity, when the ego comes up, the flow stops. And you see that with musicians. Again, I, I come from the world of jazz. And when people are improvising, when people play music, when the ego comes in and they start kind of observing themselves playing, they're going to fuck up. They're going to play the wrong note. Or if they're in a drumming circle, they're going to mess up the rhythm, whatever. So the practice is one of being in flow, whether it's when you're creative or when you're meditating. It's that place of letting the stuff go by you, deferring judgment, and that's the, the sweet spot. One of my biggest problems growing up playing soccer was it almost seemed like every time I had an amazing game, I would follow it up with a really bad one. And my coach always used to tell me, it's, it's your mental. And it was ego coming in because I was in flow state. The game went you know, amazingly, played really yeah. well. And then I came back to the next game and I was like, Oof, I am the shit. Hmm. Yeah. And then I went out there and it was like, is this the same person playing? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever read the inner game of tennis? No. Uh -uh. That's a, it, it's a somewhat older book, but it's great. And it talks, he, he was a, a tennis instructor and everything he did, he said, the entire game is in your head. And he talks a lot about that place of exactly, you know, the minute you start analyzing what you're doing, and one of the, the best ways for you to mess with your opponent is if they're hitting a really good forehand, then in a break between games, you can say to them, your forehand is really great. What are you doing that makes it so good? Hmm. And just having them reflect and stop to think of it is going to mess up their forehead. Oh, wow. I grew up playing golf. That was like the sport that I played. And I feel like that requires a lot of somehow mental fortitude to 
to keep your eyes on the prize for four hours. And I, I, I'll toot my own horn. I'll let my ego shine a little bit here. And I, I was a pretty good golfer in, in high school and I played at a pretty competitive level. And I feel like what allowed me to do that is I was so disconnected from the score. I was so disconnected from my emotions. I was just able to flow very nicely. And I feel like over the years, to my dismay, I think I've gotten, it's, it's harder for me to connect to that because I feel, and you know, uh, from my ancient age of 27, but I, I feel like as I've gotten older, I'm juggling more things. There's more things in my, in my consciousness. There's more plates that I'm spinning and balls that I'm juggling. And mm -hmm. it leaves me cluttered and, and further from this state. And it's funny because I actually played golf not too long ago with somebody and I used to be impervious, like no one could get under my skin. This person was just getting under my skin. They were just getting me and they weren't doing anything. They were just playing their game and I was yeah. playing my own game in my head. And sounds like ego, Leon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I definitely feel with age, or at least as I get older, that I have a tendency to, to be more caught up in my conscious mind and more further from that flow state. So I appreciate you saying that. Do you think that ego, what happens to ego in your opinion as people get older? Well, I think just as we get older, the volume gets turned up to 11 on everything we do, right? So if we're able to, with age, practice letting go of the ego, then with age, we can learn to do it better. People go on weekend meditation retreats. People look for yoga to whatever. And it's almost like they do it on the weekend, but then they come back to life. And it's that integration that's the big challenge, hmm. right? In our lives, it's integrating what we've learned into daily life and making it part of it that's really important. Leon, I understand that you are working on a new project. It is called Freestorming. Would you like to share a little about what that entails and what your vision is for that? Sure, I'd love to, because uh, I'm actually really excited about this new frontier, in a sense, that's been made possible by the legalization of one of the consciousness expanding molecules that we're familiar with, which is cannabis. So there's lots of stories of people using consciousness expanding substances, entheogenes, you can call them, they have many different names, but you know, Steve Jobs talks about doing LSD and discovering something. And everybody has their story. Definitely here in California, you hear these stories a lot with the kind of legalization that's sweeping across the country I and mean, in different places in the world. It's been legal for a longer time. Other places are just catching up to it. You find more and more people sharing the fact that they use cannabis in order to think creatively. Artists use cannabis to paint and dancers use cannabis to dance and musicians use it to play mm. and engineers use it to solve problems. 
So cannabis, when used intentionally, has a powerful way of expanding the mind. And as I mentioned earlier, since what we want to do when we're creative is make connect unexpected connections between things, the more expansive our view of the world is, the more we can reach to kind of remote corners and make connections between different things. And so when cannabis became legal here in California, what I decided to do is to take this tool that I use comfortably called brainstorming and find ways where cannabis can maybe enhance the process. Given who I am, I've, I actually did some experiments with it. And I did experiments with groups of people who smoked and I led a brainstorming session for them. I did experiments with individuals with whom I sat and used cannabis and try to see how that could work. What I have now is this thing called freestorming, which is specifically a kind of solo brainstorming process. Hmm. You're familiar and many people are familiar with the process of guided meditation. So I can sit with an individual and say, okay, close your eyes. Imagine a beautiful place, maybe a beach, etc. And I can, my voice can guide them through a meditation process. What freestorming is, is guided ideation. And it's a structured 90 minute process where an audio track takes you with whatever design challenge you have through a set of questions that helps expand the territory that you're exploring and possibly come up with unexpected, fresh, outstanding ideas of how you might solve that design challenge. Hmm. So it's a structured process that a person sits at home with their own cannabis in a safe environment. And for 90 minutes, there's an audio track and worksheets that guide them through a creative process for coming up with new ideas. That's what freestorming is. It sounds super exciting. And to my knowledge, it can be applied across the board, even with like relationship conflict, right? There's not a lot of boundaries. Obviously, I think the intention is more so for business or maybe I'm off base there. I think the the first point you brought up is the point you bring whatever creative challenge you have. Hmm. If it's your hobby, if it's your relationship, if it's at work, if it's how to help your children with their homework, whatever it is you decide you want to be creative about is what you bring into the process. The questions are so there's worksheets where you fill out specifically the wording of the challenge that you want and there's guidelines. So there's actually two books. There's a handbook and a workbook and they guide you on how to prepare for the session and set it up. And then those 90 minutes are the session that takes you through it. I want to point out that I think it's really important that if, if for people who like to use cannabis as a creative tool, I think it's really important to use it not on a regular basis. Hmm. I think what makes cannabis powerful 
and other substances too, is that they are used in counterpoint to what we do in our regular life. And the people that I'm currently working with doing freestorming, so I've, I've had a few ways of doing it. I've had people who've taken freestorming and listened to the audio track and done it on their own. There are people with whom I've sat and actually personally guided through the session. And many of these people have taken the output from the session and worked on it for weeks because they keep seeing ideas they wrote down and connections they made. And so my suggestion is for people who use cannabis as a creative tool rather than an, just a recreational drug, so to mm. speak, mm -hmm. is to do it, do it not more often than once every two weeks. It's both creatively you'll feel the difference, but also physiologically it helps your body clean out the system and the whole idea of using these types of substances is as i mentioned earlier in a different context how do you integrate creativity into your daily life you want to expand your creative palette without creating any dependence on any substance or on any ritual or in anything you want it to be an integral part of who you are and so that's kind of a, a warning I give when I work with people freestorming. I'd say definitely do it and do it as a learning point, but don't overdo it. Hmm. It's important. It's not an excuse to go get stoned. There's like an intention behind it. Yeah. What makes this family of substances from starting with cannabis and going through, you know, people use mushrooms and LSD and things like that. What makes these substances unique is that these are the only substances known to us where the intention you bring in when you use them will shape the experience. Hmm. You can have any mind game going on. If you take Advil, it will go in and stop whatever inflammation you have. Intention has nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. When you use these consciousness expanding substances, the clearer your intention, the more value you will get out of the session. So that's that's really important. So I've had personal experiences with cannabis that I can resonate with what you're saying. And I think I'd really what I like is that you're bringing a structure and a framework to something that's traditionally not structured. But I can think of several times where I was stumped on a problem and I gave myself a little bit more space and I used cannabis and reapproached the problem and it was beneficial. I actually really cherish those moments. They're really special moments and special times to, you know, maybe it's a work problem that I've been dwelling on during the weekday, but on a Sunday afternoon, I take extra time and, and try to reassess it. What you're saying really resonates and I could definitely see it being effective. And I like the notion of adding structure to it though, because I mm -hmm. think that that's something that's missing from, from maybe what I'm just doing out in the world, you know. You know, what's interesting is um, there's a lot of work that's being done now on using these consciousness altering substances for therapy, be it with terminally ill patients or PTSD mm. and things like that. And there are a lot of really beautifully structured protocols being used in hospitals and research centers mm. for 
the use of these substances. For some reason, there hasn't been a really structured process for cannabis hmm. because it's been such a big part of the subculture. And now that it's opened up, it's become such a big part of, you know, recreation that using having a structure for using it for problem solving is a really unique way of making the most of this plant. And I'm really happy to be doing that. Mm, whole, whole new lens to look at the, like you said, it's been so in the subculture as its definition has been shaped by the subculture. And this is a whole new lens to look at cannabis right. through. And that's absolutely what's really, I really like about that. So we'll include some links in the show notes, but is there anywhere that you can tell our listeners to go and learn more, a website or? So I've created an online platform for the community of people who are freestorming. Hmm. And it's innovationhub.mn, Mike November, dot co. Okay. Innovationhub.mn.co. And that's, again, a place I've created this open platform because I want people who use cannabis creatively to exchange ideas, concepts, processes, little workarounds, talk about strains that work for them, talk about different settings that they do. Collaboration. It's all about people and community. Absolutely. I love your logo yeah your logo is amazing did you make this or did like this is an incredible logo (laughs) we're gonna tease you guys if you want to see the logo go visit the website in the show notes you will not be disappointed and leon will send you a sticker if you go to his website (laughs) (laughs) i wanted one of your shirts with my logo We'll do ah, that. done. The first collaboration. Okay. Freestorming collaboration with Aware. Okay. Now we're Leon. talking. Amazing. Leon, it was such an honor to have you on. This was such a rich, dense, beautiful conversation. To close out, our main goal is to help more people meditate. And I think we shined a lot of light on meditation. Um, having used meditation for 30 years, are there any closing notes you'd like to share with Anyone looking to start a meditation or deepen their meditation? So specifically with meditation in mind, I'll say that for me, it's been invaluable. And for 30 years, I have been in relationship with meditation. But as I said in the beginning, it's been up and down. And so I want people to not be discouraged. Those who already meditate, I have nothing to say to them. And if they meditate regularly a lot, I admire them. For those who are just learning or are struggling, I'd say start small, build a really good understanding of the practice and keep coming back to it because it will always show up in useful ways in your life. So I really like the fact that you guys are out there helping the younger generation open up to this tool that's been handed down to us for from thousands of years and is so important to to create inner quiet and subsequently also a little quiet outside in the world there Hmm. well thank you for helping us help others meditate (laughs) it means a lot it's a great pleasure 
Thank you for inviting me. What a guy. That was awesome. So happy we could put that together. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and listen to this podcast. We had a blast talking with Dr. Leon Segal. Really insightful and it really helped anchor some of the value that meditation has. Really goes beyond just sitting and helped us understand the connection between creativity and how meditation might facilitate that. Be sure to check out the link in the description to Dr. Leon Segal's proprietary creative thought process called Freestorming, which uses cannabis to help you think very creatively about problems you might be stuck on. It's literally buying your next breakthrough, so we highly recommend you take a look. We hope that you will join us in episode 10 and onward and support us at aware-apparel.com. We'll see you for episode 10. Thanks, guys. Peace.